everyone, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are Funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. Supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn about more about the PNWA at pnwa.org. And so today's guest is an up and... Well, she's come... I was going to say she's up and coming, but I think she's already quite established. Bethany C. Morrow is a national best-selling author, writing for both adult and young adult audiences. She is the author of Mem, A Song Below Water, A Chorus Rises, So Many Beginnings, A Little Women remix and most recently cherish farah she is the editor contributor to the young adult anthology take the mic which won the 2020 ila social justice in literature award and her work has been featured in the la times forbes bustle buzzfeed and more she is included on usa today's list of 100 black novelists and fiction writers you should read and we had a cool conversation about well just about her writing life and how she came to it to it and uh and her own sort of relationship to her work and how much it's meant to her, shaped her life. Great conversation, and I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. All right. Bethany Morrow, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Welcome to the show. Um, You've been a, uh, well, you're publishing record would suggest you've been busy for the last five or six years you've got you've published five books since 2018 yes five books and an anthology now tell me those were all written already and then you published one and then no no the the first one mem was probably i think i wrote mem in 2011 okay and everything else was a new was a newbie now so uh is it true did did you start as an indie author was your first book an indie indie published so it's a literary press called unnamed press uh they're also actually now bookstore owners so they're booksellers as well um but they are literary press out of california they published mem in 2018 uh oh see now indie author i think indie author i think i'm putting it up on amazon and I'm designing the cover myself. That's a self-published author. So, oh, well, ah, but oh no, no, no! Don't, they don't call themselves self-published. They call themselves indie. But you were an indie house, a small independent press. An independent press. Got yeah. it. Okay. All right. That's when it started. So, right, let's back up though. Let's back up. Uh, this writing thing. You said you wrote Mem in 2011, but you probably were writing even before then. How long has this writing thing been a interest of yours? It's not an interest of mine. It's uh, it's who I am. It's what I do. So uh, <laughs> it goes beyond interest. Well, when did you know it was who you are? Then let me put it that way. When I was eight. The average age, my dear. This is true. This is about when it hits. Eight nine is the average age when people look. Up I mean, that's definitely when I when I said, "Oh, this is something that I constantly and consistently do." I don't have a memory of not doing it. So uh, a lot of these, all a lot of these averages or whatever are imposed by when society lets you know that something is not average. Because before that, how would you know? Right. Okay. Like, Interesting. How would you know not everybody journals every day? How would I you see. Know so everybody writes stories. 
that's when you realized that all your friends aren't reading constantly yes. and writing in the journal. Yes, this is what I realized that the reason that my teacher in elementary school had all these extra composition books to give me during free ride is because nobody else was using them. Right. I, you know, you think as a kid, whatever you are constantly doing is just like, that's what everybody's constantly doing. Right. So when I was eight and she decided to tell my parents, do you know that she does this every single day is when I realized everybody doesn't do this every single day. Wow. Okay. All right. So this was just it. You were just, you came in hardwired, running from the gate. And and I assume you were just reading voraciously all the time. Up until up until high school, I would say I was reading voraciously. I was still obviously reading a lot in high school because I was in a at a uh, an IB program, so I was in right. an accelerated program and I enjoyed almost everything that we read with the exception <laughs> of the Once and Future King. I think it's terrible. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I, I was reading a lot, but it did not have the same impact because I was reading something I was asked to read. It yeah. didn't change whether I enjoyed it or not. But when I think of like, when I felt like I was reading voraciously, it was junior high and before because those were all things that I was seeking out myself, going yeah. to the library myself or going to the bookstore myself. Um, and once high school and university hit, um, it was somebody's telling you, you know, to do yeah. these things. So. Yeah. And so what was your family's relationship to like, to writing? Because most writers I know do not come from families of writers and most writers I know, and I know a bunch of them, they just, they didn't even know anybody who did this. These were, these were all strangers. So what was your background? What did you have a, I don't know, anyone who was at any, like a journalist in there anywhere or an academic or what? No, um, my father was a real estate broker my entire life. <laughs> um, and, you know, education was hugely, that was like the central focus in our mm -hmm. household. Um, but, and therefore reading and taking us to the library and different right. public libraries. Like I thought it was normal that you would like visit all of the libraries that are close to your house. Um, cause what if they have different stuff? And this was like the right. 80 something. So it's not like you could just check on the computer. Right. Um, but when I was writing, for instance, the back to school night where my teacher tried to like inform my parents that I was writing, they're like, yeah. We live with her. So like, <laughs> okay, so they did know. I was going to ask if they yeah. knew that this was some secret you had. Oh, no, it was not a secret whatsoever. We were like a very performing family also. So like I grew up in a household with four of my siblings uh, because we were all in the same sort of age group. Yeah. And when it was our parents' anniversary or somebody's birthday, we would put on like a vaudeville show. Oh. And I remember teaching my younger brother um, Bing Crosby Smarty, the lyrics to Bing Crosby Smarty because I was playing it on the piano. So I had my tiny brother perform a Bing Crosby song for my parents. Um, and so my dad would give us like uh, voice recorders and he would give us video recorders. Like, uh, what are those things called? <laughs> you know, the big cameras that you had to put on your shoulder. Yes. Yeah. The old uh, cameras. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they, you know, he provided us with that kind of stuff mm. and then they would watch this stuff or listen to the stuff that we like to do radio shows. Um, yeah. Oh, this is kind of what it was like for my family a bit. We were very creative. And so there was all any little yeah. shows, little comedy. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, all right. So what a creative yeah. group. You grew up in a nice, nice Petri dish of creativity. It sounds like it's very encouraged, very also appreciated. You know, I will say I used to tell my mom stories right. and she loved stories and she loved to laugh. She was a good storyteller, but there's something about having your stories appreciated that is encouraging. Right. You don't you think? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, all right. And so they, when you said, mom, 
dad, I'm going to be a writer. This is what I'm doing. They didn't flip out and say, you're going to be a lawyer and maybe you'll write on the side or anything like that. Or No, I mean, I, I will tell you that a part of that has to do with me and part of that has to do with my parents because my dad absolutely, you know, my eldest sister was supposed to be a doctor. My middle sister was supposed <laughs> to be a dentist. I was supposed to be an attorney. And my thing is as a contrarian, which is probably why I really thought I was going to be an attorney. The more people said that to me, the more I was like, never. I'll never do it. Oh, um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, if you wanted me to do it, you probably should have stopped telling me to do it. Um, <laughs> but they all knew that I was a writer. And so it wasn't like, I think everybody assumed, of course, she'll always be doing this because she's always been doing this. Right. Um, and it was like, well, what do you want to study in school? And um, obviously I ended up studying sociology. And honestly, I did take the logic tests and like pre-LSAT stuff because it's right. just fun to do. Secretly, right. that was my secret. Because uh, <laughs> I did not intend to go to law school. Uh, but no, they were very... With everyone else, it was like, yeah, you should do this thing that's a traditional like STEM type of thing. And then right. Bethany obviously should do whatever Bethany's going to do. <laughs> well, they, they knew you well enough not to bother trying to yeah. force that river. And so, but that's good, you know, because the writer, you got to you gotta tell your story. You got to mm -hmm. find a thing you're interested in. And so, but okay, so that's the 80s. I'm stunned to hear that you were- And the 90s, and the 90s. And the 90s, okay, thank you. In the 80s, and I went to junior high in the 90s. <laughs> okay, all right, God, I was trying to place your age and was freaking out just a little bit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, so, but okay, it's a long journey. You know, it's a bit of a journey. And so um, you, you you wrote your first, the book that would be first published, you wrote in 2011, right. published it in 2000, so years later. So mm -hmm. what was that journey from just, I want to do this to, I've actually found a publisher who will accept my work and so on. What was that journey like for you? I mean, at first it's, um, you know, because if you're a writer, that means that you are aware of the artistic aspect of it. And until somebody, until you meet somebody who is a published author or a professional writer, you don't necessarily think, and this is a problem. I think that when people say like, oh, how long did you know? They're talking about monetizing something, which has nothing to do with anything. No, no. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about, I've been a writer my entire life. Now, yep. writing for publication, of course, is something different. But until junior high, when I had a teacher who herself was a professional writer who started oh. writing uh a writing club for me nice. I did not ever think about oh how do you get this scene or how do I don't I didn't think about that it really you know it had nothing to do with anything to me uh, my family read everything my friends read everything right. so I was already not writing privately anyway it was always interesting consumption but yeah. then there's like oh there's a there's an actual marketplace and a business aspect if you want this to be your career and so when I was in grad school because I'd been, you know, dabbling and queering and stuff while I was in university. Okay. But once I realized like, oh, okay, no one's going to walk into my house and publish something. There is an industry <laughs> that I have to study. Right. Then I, I left grad school in 2006 and um, where I'd been studying uh, clinical psychological research. And I focused entirely on learning the industry and um studying the market and that sort of thing oh you oh so you really put on your very practical hat as well as your artistic hat well no you well, know yeah because a lot you of writers that freaks them out 
you can do the art by yourself. Deciding yeah. if you want to be an author is about understanding and agreeing with the fact that, okay, this is the intersection of art and business. So if you're not yeah. interested in the business part, you should just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Because to do this, you're going to have to, you're going to oh. have to be involved in the business. Now you see, you're taking for granted what you're telling me, but I, I work with a lot of writers and that, that what you are, what you embraced and accepted and we're very mature about if what you're telling me is true and i think it is <laughs> which <laughs> i think you are me of lying this is our first meeting <laughs> well in other words that you're not you're not you're not sugarcoating what how you're if you are resistant to it but it sounds like you embraced it that's hard for a lot of writers because they they get scared of it they find it unfriendly and they they you know anyway but it sounds like you said no i'm gonna deal with it and did you feel that helped you when you as you were dealing with I'm sure there was some rejection involved. As you oh, there was a ton of rejection. There was rejection. There was solid rejection for the five years after I got rid of everything I had ever written and said, now I'm going to be writing for publication, which is something different. Right, right. And therefore I need to be, you know, thinking about and reading what is currently being published, um, how to properly identify my own work in the market. Yeah. If you can't make a separation there, I don't I don't know what to tell people. And that's why I don't do certain types of like instruction and stuff that other yeah. people do because I, I do take it for granted. I have no idea why people think differently. I'm not <laughs> smart enough to figure out why people think differently. So I, you know, for me, it was very much like I am writing for publication now. That right. is something completely different. So every rejection that came before, say, 2010 does not register to me because it was very oh. much dabbling and I was doing something else. Um, from 2010 to 2015, when I got my first offer of representation, was a solid five years of rejection. Wow. Um, and let's, you know, remember, it matters who you are. It, so the kind of rejections that you get uh, have to do with your place in society, because this this um, industry is a microcosm of the greater society. Sure. So I recognized very quickly that a lot of the feedback or a lot of rejection I was getting was extremely dismissive or disrespectful. Um, and so that was now an additional this is a reality because people inhabit this space. Was the was did you feel like the message was you're writing about women of color and we don't think there's an audience for that essentially? Oh, one hundred percent. If it was if it was young adult, then it would be yeah. like oh, you know, and I'm writing young adult like science fiction, but this is right. before there were any uh, black main characters. Yeah in yeah. young adult fiction, which right. seems ridiculous to think about now. But when I first started querying in 2010, show me show me a book by a right. major publisher that had right. a black girl as the lead. Um, so the kind of feedback I would get, and, and these same people are still in the industry. So it's very interesting the way I'm treated in the industry now because I didn't forget. Um, but it's like, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if this is realistic. And it's like, why not? What's, right. not, what's not realistic about this girl having a multi-planet action adventure like let's tease this out like what are you, and, uh, you know so you felt friend, that with the implication you, you felt it was pretty not even implication was just pretty clear oh, like you know i've dealt with microaggressions my entire life it's not a mystery to me you can right. you can dress it up however you right. want but there were then there were some people that just flat out said what they meant too so uh there wasn't always guesswork oh good do. for them <laughs> i mean really good for them because then when they talk to me five years later i'm like do you remember what you said they don't because i hey, really just you know that. what Hold a place in your heart. Maybe they're changing. Maybe they're uh, learning. Prove it. prove it. Okay. All right. You'll believe it when you see it. But obviously prove you found it. a representation. Somebody said, I get it. Somebody well, this said- was after. So I left my first agent who told me not to queer men because he was like, nobody's going to want a novella from an untested 
um, author. So you need to, you need to publish. He told me you need to publish four full length novels before anybody will buy um, a novella from you. And I was like, that sounds arbitrary and ridiculous. So I'm going to go ahead and ignore you. Yeah, uh, good. It was good. the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. And I got the very like explicit sense that he actually didn't know what he was doing, but he could get away with that. And so I was like, no, this isn't working. And so I took Mem and I was like, I know where, I know that traditional publishing doesn't seem to know what speculative literary is. Right. And I know that literary presses do. Yep. And that's what I'm going to focus on for this particular work. And so I submitted it myself. I got two offers of uh, publication for it. Really? Uh, yeah. Hey, two. Once, <laughs> yes. And, and once I had uh, sold that, which I kept all of, you know, I, kept all of the rights obviously yeah. but um once i once i did that now suddenly first of all i had an agent who came to me through that because that book was uh an indies introduce pick before it was published right great um and so i had an agent come and offer representation but i was working on another project and i did not have time to deal with that and also preparing for my debut which was adult right. anyway yeah. Um, and so I really didn't think about it while I was working on, um, while I was working on the new book, but also while I was preparing for that publication. And I ended up with six offers of representation. <laughs> Listen, sometimes you got to know yourself. Okay. Because people will pretend that they know, and really what they're doing is perpetuating the status quo. Right. Um, you know, there are of course gatekeepers and that's a reality, but it does not mean that they always know what they're talking about. No, of course not. Oh my God. Oh my God. My, I have a Garth Stein wrote Art of Racing in the Rain, which was on the best mm -hmm. list for like a decade or something. And his agent said, This can't sell. There's no way. Right. So we had to fire her and find someone else. So, you know. Well, exactly. And that's literally what I did for him. I sold it myself. I got right. a new agent um, and then immediately sold a song below water. And then, you know, and then a publisher came to me and asked me to write, well, asked me to write a short story for that anthology that they later asked me to be the editor for. Wow. And then an editor came because of Twitter and asked me to write something for the Remix Classics, which at the time was called Reclaim Classics, until I explained to them, that's not true. We're not reclaiming something that, that intentionally erased and omitted us. Right. I'm, I can write you a remix, but I'm not going to write you a retelling of something that had nothing to do with me. Right. And so they changed the, they changed the title of the series, and I wrote so many beginnings for them. Um, so all right, so how so now we're on book ish number five. Well, you we'll call it book five between all the different things, yeah. and this one and Cherish Far, which is great by the way. Really, such a you have such a nice. I love your voice. It's it's such a. Um, I know it's an odd term, but a friendly voice. I don't know if that's what you intend, but there's something very <laughs> sort of just that draws me in. So I quite mm. I quite liked it and um, really strong. And I, I, you've got to be pleased with it. I hope you're pleased with it. Oh, I love it. has been out for a while. Yeah. I, I love all of my everything that, again, when you recognize that this isn't, uh, this is a market, okay, this is a business and everything that you write is not for public consumption. You need to be intentional about what you publish. Yes, yes. Oh, I like it. I like the way you think. <laughs> you got your head on straight. This is good. And so how are you feeling about it right now? How are you feeling about yourself, your work, and this business? You know, it's a business. Everyone's trying to make money. Right. Everybody wants to make money. And everybody, how are you feeling about it right now? I mean, I have no love for the business or the industry. It's simply a reality. And so I remain myself all of the time, which means, um, you know, everybody has, I think everybody knows 
if you do certain things with me, you have to understand that they are going to be publicized because I have no reason to keep secrets for you. Say, um, give me an example. What do you mean? Give me an example. So just be be careful. Don't um, you know? Don't uh, suggest that I that I uh, tiptoe around things in my work. Don't suggest that I oh. lighten things. Don't suggest that I lighten characters' complexions. Don't right. Suggest- you know, the things that were suggested much more readily in 2015, 2016, um, and were, I mean, completely abusive to marginalized creators. Don't do, don't say anything to me that you don't want repeated. You will tell people that it was said. Oh my gosh, it's all repeated. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I I have no reason to keep secrets for anybody. And I'm here not just to challenge the American imagination, but also these institutions. I, right. Again, now let me ask you, do you, See, it's interesting. So you you were a contrarian with your parents whom you love. Sounds like you loved your family. It sounds like it was, oh, a, yeah. I don't know, maybe, you know, families, famously, what, who was it who said bad families make goods? Was that Dostoevsky? I forget, remember. But you, <laughs> not like you actually, you were gifted with a, with a loving family that, that uh, which is awesome. Uh, I, I was as well. But you're a contrarian. Don't tell her what to do. And so you're comfortable in the role, I think, fighting, I'm I'm not not comfortable. I recognize it as a reality. It's the same thing. Wait, wait. Some people won't do it. They won't do it. Yeah, but that, but that has, but that has to do with comfort. Not doing has to do with their comfort. comfort. Right. Yes. The the people who refuse to deal with reality are seeking self comfort above, above everything else. I am a realist. So I recognize if I don't do this, the next black woman has to do this. If right. I don't say something, someone else has to say something. It's not saying this doesn't have to be done. It's simply saying I'm going to put this off on somebody else. Right. That I'm not comfortable with. So I'm not comfortable having to tell people stuff. And believe me, if I have to tell the same person the same thing multiple times, and it's at a great cost to myself and my dignity, we are not going to communicate often. Right. But I think that when people frame it as like, and that's the problem with being somebody who's willing to do it. Now, here's the thing. You can tell me what to do as long as it makes sense and as long as there's a good reason for it. Because right. if you're right and I'm wrong, I would like to know that. Okay. But you can't just tell me what to do arbitrarily. Like, right. That's right. ridiculous, right? Like, Well, you're a writer, man. You Writers, I think, in part right, say, I want to close the door right now. And all you people, I love you, but I'm closing the door and I'm going to figure out what I want what I want to hear and what I, for now, right? I I think, I think my thing is I am, no, I have, my family is loud. My family, you know, and I'm talking about my chosen family. current family, the one you're. My my current family, me and my partner, like, you know, we have, we actually have what you're supposed to have, which is conviction and your own opinion. And it is not always going to match up with people people that you love. And if you are uncomfortable having conversations where you don't agree you are uncomfortable with intimacy so it's like how much do i honor this relationship how much do i honor this person and this relationship by choosing to be honest with them and choosing to have those conversations that a lot of people will avoid i like that i have not heard the connection between i'm not going to call it confrontation but that level of honesty and intimacy I, I think, think that I think we can call right. it confrontation. I think we can call it confrontation as long as we take the negative connotation out of that word. It's not I, just because we're having a confrontation does not mean something negative is happening. Um, again, unless you're centering comfort at all times, 
Sometimes you have to confront something. Um, Just don't think of it as I'm confronting the person necessarily, like I'm confronting you. I'm confronting what was said, or I'm confronting a situation that I didn't approve of or agree with. But we have to take the negative connotation out of that in order to recognize this is a necessary part of intimacy. You cannot be intimate with somebody that you cannot disagree with. You see, when I married, that was the thing I had to learn from my wife was how to mm-hmm. have that really how to do it right. and it right. was you know i was still young enough that i was ready to learn it but i was dis i didn't really i was very uncomfortable with it i was scared i thought it would end it would end everything or whatever right. but we quickly she was not scared of it and so we quickly <laughs> i but it was great it was one of the best yeah. things i learned about how to be with people actually you know, yeah. I actually think it was. And I, but I had not thought of the connection with intimacy. And I think it's good, you know, because I, one of my favorite teachers said something once, which was that intimacy, and I think this is true. Maybe you don't, I think it's true, is the natural relationship between people that we are naturally intimate. The humans are, that it's, we can do what we can to cut it off. Right, of right. But in it, at, at our base core, we are naturally intimate with each other. I think that's true. Think? I think, yeah, I think that that's true. I mean, we naturally, again, as a student of sociology and um, social psychology, we naturally, and that doesn't mean like, oh, I think this because of these studies. It's I study this because I think this didn't for me really. Um, right. But I think that when you look at how society works and everybody has a network of communities, multiple networks of communities, we are just naturally constantly craving it and constantly cultivating it. Um, We like for it to be really authentic to our interests and our identity and and those types of things. And that's why you see people with multiple, with a multitude of those. But yeah, I think that naturally as humans, it's our desire to be in intimate relationships. Unfortunately, what we propagate and socialize can sometimes be very counter- Oh, for sure. For sure. I I think, I think group dynamics are complicated and I, I I know when I was young, Mm -hmm. I avoided them. I I felt I could under one-on-one I got groups confused me a lot of the times. I didn't like where the conversations went. I totally relate to that too. Um, I, I just think we have, especially in a, let's say capitalist Republic that we live in, (laughs) we are, you know, it's completely incongruous with intimacy. Um, It's, it's completely incongruous with community, which is why it's so rewarding when you, like, I just got back from Seattle. I was on a work trip ah, in Seattle. That's where I live. That's oh, I okay. <laughs> I just, I had a lot of um, events. And one of the things I, I got used to doing events via Zoom, of course, because yeah, of the yeah. pandemic. And I completely respect that. And I think it's so great for accessibility. And I hope that it's not going to just go away. But it ain't the same. It ain't the same. But but it's not the same as remembering, because you know what it is when I'm in this setting and I'm on Zoom, I can pour out very easily. And Uh what that ended up with was like a a reduction in bandwidth. And it ended up with a lot of exhaustion. And I was very pleased with what I was still able to do. I was very pleased to hear back from people of how they experienced it. But it's what I, as the artist, don't get. Yeah. In this situation, um, there is very much a psychic distance. When you start going back to events where it's safe to do so, and I do ask that people be masked at my events, but um, when people can talk to you and tell you something quickly in line um, as you're signing for them or asking questions at Q&As and stuff, you know, there is something that cannot be explained scientifically or any other thing about mm-hmm. what it means to connect with another human person. And for somebody to honor you like that to show up at a place 
simply because you're going to be there yeah. and tell you something true about them is right. such a, you know, you end up feeling so much more energized than when you came, which does not happen on Zoom. <laughs> not much, not much. I know when I, I, I finally did live events this past fall mm -hmm. and, and I did a lot, I teach a lot too, a lot of like, sort of, they're kind of like personal growth, almost kind of workshops, and, mm -hmm. but I've learned to do it. I didn't, you know, I've learned to do it. But man, when I got there in front of a big crowd, I was like, this is great. The energy, the way you right. get the energy. I I felt for the, I was watching some of the late night stuff and they were so uncomfortable when they had to do their stuff without in, an right. audience. Without an audience. Uh, if you, for here, for here. Trevor Noah was the best. He could do it, but the rest yeah. of them, like I could see they it's were a, so unhappy. It's a totally different, it's a totally different skill set. And I don't like it when it's used to say, okay, this is why everybody should have to go back and see the office because speak for yourself no, no, no. Um, office is something else <laughs> no no no. that's totally something else and yeah. it's also oh you know i'm we're still we still should be concerned about our our uh, absolutely um but and i'm not an extroverted person i'm i'm one of the i don't i don't like anything that's a binary is usually going to be wrong for 90 yeah, percent yeah i'm sorry yeah. like it's two things it's like one or the other um so i would say i'm an ambivert because i really love um, connecting with the right people, not indiscriminately. <laughs> um, but but also I need to recharge by myself. Amen. Like, I recharge by myself, yes. not with that's not right. with groups of people. Right? So um, that is true of every writer, I think. See, I love being in front of people, but like I go to writers' conferences, I'm like, this is great. And then I need to go to my oh, room, great. close the door, yes. totally yes. shut down for an hour or two. Yeah, I I got back from Seattle on Sunday morning, early in the morning, and it was like, hey, and I just went into my Slack with my girls and stuff and was yeah. like, hey, um, I'm recovering, and everybody knows what that means. Yeah. Like, I probably won't be around for, like, actual conversations. I don't have the bandwidth for phone calls. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't, you know, and then there's always the person who doesn't count as people. So, like, my son, he, he goes to Howard. He's uh, going to be 19 soon. Wow. Wow. He does not count as people. Right. I am 40. I am 40. No, I, okay. I have to keep <laughs> I, sorry. <laughs> I take it as the compliment that it is. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. But I also, you know, when I, I went to a high school, I went to a high school event in New York once and it was only a couple of years ago. So I was in my late 30s. Yeah. And the woman at the, the woman at the front was like, may I see your ID? And no. I gave her my driver's license. And she said, oh, I need your school ID, sweetie. And I was like, ma'am, <laughs> you can tell from my driving car license that i do not have a school id you know i'm not in high school Come you on. have a you're, um, you are infused with youthful enthusiasm that keeps you it keeps you buoyant hopefully hopefully that's what it is wow well all right yeah, so you're like me you're like a lot of writers you need time to yourself but uh i assume you're using that time now write the next book is this true are we toiling away on book number six um we are on proposal submission and are not toiling away because uh -huh. i like to have periods of time where i am not actively composing a book for the marketplace really? interesting yes i i it's my only job and it what also do do? I, what do you do with I yourself live. all day you live, live. what is that <laughs> <laughs> What's that? that? I know. I know. It's a mystery. No, I like to, I like to 
be, I like to be in a relationship. I like to be keeping up with my son and what he's doing at university. I like to spend a ton of time with my partner. I like to roller skate. I like to watch uh -huh. a lot of movies and television. I love oh, other people's, I think that some of the best writing right now on a uh, limited series or anthology yeah. series. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and, and I like, I like to also be able to do the other side of the author career, which is sure. speaking and doing interviews and that sort of thing. So I do not try to cram all of my time, like to the brim with, with writing or with any one particular thing. I'm sorry. Just what a weirdly healthy point of view. <laughs> <laughs> that is strange. Thing. Good for you. Good for you. I, I admire that. You have just a very grounded, healthy way to do it. But so, but you put a proposal. We won't talk about it. Proposal. There'll be another book. That's fine. Well, listen, you're pretty awesome. Uh, I, I, I'm so glad we got to chat, although I am not finished with you yet, my dear. One, one more question. And I want you to yes. think about all the writing you've done, even back to those journals you were writing as a little girl, mm -hmm. you just, just you and your thoughts. And if all that writing has taught you anything. It's taught you what? Who I am. Look at that. No hesitation. No hesitation. And are you still learning? Is it still teaching you that? I, I, I'm learning how to be myself and my true self without being selfishly myself. Um, yep. So yep. learning how to be yourself and honor yourself and honor the relationships that you're in and the, and the other people who are also full human beings. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I think that writing from that young age um, and writing journals and all that kind of stuff is so that I can be aware of myself because I, I think a lot of people's self-image does not match up with who they actually are. Yep. And that's why I always encourage people to journal. Um, but just so you can see, how are you processing things? How do you, how are you interpreting things? What are, what connections are you drawing? Um, but I, I think that I know I'm very, I am very comfortable saying I know who I am, um, but that doesn't mean I'm always the best at doing community. And like we said, as humans, that's we we love intimacy. We naturally are attracted to intimacy, so we're always learning how to do that better with the people that we choose. Because if you, yeah. you chose them, you owe them. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun, Bethany. Congrats on last book and on all the others that are sure to come. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I kind of agree with her that it teaches us who we are. Because what we're interested in, that's, I tell you, if there's nothing, that's thats who we are, individually at least, I think. And I kind of discover that as I'm writing. I do. I do. Hope you do too. Okay, listen. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. And uh, to all of you out there, who are you? You're what you love. Yes, you are. So... Go find something you love to do and do it.